Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Larry Schertz, the EVP of North America Enterprise Sales at Salesforce. Larry, how are you? I'm well, Craig. How are you today? Doing great. It's uh, 2020 has been an interesting year. Um, Salesforce has done quite well, obviously being a cloud-based uh, business, but serving your clients, uh, giving them resources for both sales engagement and broader. Uh, how are things going uh, in as you think about the North American transportation and logistics industry? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on today. Uh, greatly appreciate it and spend some time with you. So uh, I've been with Salesforce for 10 years. It, it's been a it's been a pretty remarkable journey. Um, you know, the, the company really started off, as you said, in the in the what you might call Salesforce automation or contact management, lead management. How do you manage your pipeline and really has now moved, and this is really across all industries, Craig, has moved into more of the category of CRM, right? So it's not just about sales, it's about everything that's going on in the organization. And even if you looked at the past six years, and this is specifically relevant to transportation logistics, you know, we've probably spent, you know, over $30 billion acquiring north of 30 companies filling in, you know, a, a myriad of, of technologies. So some of those, as you would expect, are features and functions that we, you know, we needed to go apply those into our existing solution sets. Some of those, you know, as, as some might know, is companies like MetaMind, where we acquired human capital, literally a team of scientists to help us with artificial intelligence and machine learning and embed those capabilities. That's actually where our chief scientist, Richard Socher, has come from. So we have a chief scientist in the company now. Um, and then we've also had some pretty major acquisitions that have happened in the company. Um, and it's really around filling in this vision of the customer 360. That's our language, but how our organizations and transportation logistics should think about that is it's just a comprehensive integrated system of engagement, right? So. And we, we use this term customer, we throw customer around a lot. That means a lot of different things. If you're in the banking space, if you're at Goldman Sachs or Wells Fargo, you know, it's likely the client or the banker is your customer. If you're at Cigna or Aetna in the payer space, that's the member. And for all of us in 3PL, that's the shipper, the consignee, and you could argue the driver could be the most important customer in all of this. So, you know, most recently we've been focused on acquiring the most important things around data and analytics and integration. So companies like MuleSoft and Tableau are helping us fill in that customer 360 and deliver a single source of truth uh, across all of the entire stakeholder portfolio. Now, Larry, when you think about transportation logistics, massive space, I think oftentimes people underappreciate how big and fragmented this industry is. But where do you see in terms of uptake, where is it? Is it on the commercial trucking side, on the asset-based side, or is it on the 3PL logistics side? Where do you see the quickest adoption and new applications for Salesforce? Yeah, I, I think it's across the board, and, it, and it's it's not lost on us that a lot of these are just core CRM capabilities, and they, and they are wildly wildly horizontal, if you will. So you know, some of the data that came out through inbound logistics recently, you know, this data probably better than anybody, Craig when they surveyed all of the 3PLs, there's a question, what's the top challenge? And the top challenge was finding and retaining customers, like 67% of the respondents. It was a massive, massive tilt that direction. Same data, same study suggested, you know, when they asked the reason for a failed partnership, it's poor customer service. So we think that, you know, th those are arguably super sweet spots for Salesforce, um, especially in the 3PL spaces, if we think about CRM, 
And to your question, across the entire industry, what we're seeing, and we, we see this in financial services, we see this in retail, we see it in, in other major industries, is there's a lot of legacy source systems. A, a lot of data and information is housed in these source systems, and it's tough to access those. And quite candidly, they weren't built to expose to the entire stakeholder portfolio inside of organizations. So where we have gone from a Salesforce perspective is building out a system of engagement, right? So this integrated single source of truth, we want to leverage all the goodness that these source systems have, but we have a broader stakeholder portfolio that we need to distribute that truth to. And that truth right now lives in a a lot of legacy source systems. So it's an and conversation for us. It's horizontal across the entire transportation logistics industry. Um, and there's a massive opportunity now for all of us to kind of modernize how we're thinking about digital transformation. Yeah, a lot of the TMS providers talk about having CRM capabilities, but as you mentioned, a lot of it is built to, to be very specific to address and pick up and doesn't provide a comprehensive view of the ecosystem. And we're a Salesforce shop here at FreightWaves, and we built it around not just our CRM application for sales productivity, but engagement, customer success, billing, et cetera. I'm curious, where do you find the most successful uh, applications across the Salesforce ecosystem? Yeah, well, uh, and you mentioned it at FreightWaves. I I do think that this is a more holistic engagement type of approach. There's lots of of things and lots of criteria that go into success. Um, the cultural components of these transformations are super important. You know, there's lots of great technologies out there, but without the right implementation and strategy and culture um, and executive sponsorship, you, you never, you'll always fall short uh, of the ideal situation. But if you thought about the, this portfolio and if, if you think what we're getting asked a lot to do is, you know, it's great you have a lot of things in the bag. Help us understand how that applies to our business. Clearly, as you know, at Freightwaves, you know, the sales portfolio for accelerating sales and real-time quoting and pricing service and case management, not just to handle, you know, priority cases, but, op- you know, opportunities that may arise through the entire shipping lifecycle, targeting shippers, so manufacturer um, marketing capabilities to target shippers and engage drivers, um, and then the e-commerce capabilities that, that you know well, so the direct-to-consumer shipping services, and, and all of that has to be wrapped with the right training you need the right partner. And we're building out a lot of these capabilities and establishing these visions for a lot of our customers. Where you start has always been a question of where do we think we have low hanging fruit that delivers the best bang for the dollar? But I do think it's super important to be aligned on on a real journey and attached to a vision that is something aligned with a system engagement across the entire company. Now, Larry, when I found out the hard way that taking Salesforce and just implementing it but not having internal champions uh, is oftentimes met with the lack of success. When we first acquired Salesforce, it was for, for, you know, as a founder of the business, we had seven employees. And for us, it was just sales engagement and basically to keep a database of of customers or potential clients. Uh, But as we sort of scaled, or not sort of scaled, as we scaled, uh, we had brought in experience management who worked in other industries and they built an entire infrastructure around our Salesforce implementation. And really, that took off once we brought in an expert. I'm curious. Uh, it seems like a, a you know a significant commitment from the organization to not only implement it across the ecosystem or across their business, but also to bring in an expert. But we found that was the best uh, 
way to get success with someone who could actually create those connections. I mean, is that is that a demonstration of best practice, or is there an easier, or perhaps, you know, is there a shortcut for that? I I think you I think that is a super critical key to success. Um, we we call those people trailblazers, and and you know that that name now is being thrown around. You know, lots of industries. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're you're always going to have someone, or you really need someone inside of the organization that can be the tip of the spear, not just around the capabilities of the tools. Uh, lots of people know the capabilities of the tools, um, and and we can talk about Trailhead and how we're enabling you know hundreds of thousands of people around. How can you architect and leverage the tools and technologies, but also intersect that with your company and your culture? So as as, as freight waves was growing, you need someone that has an understanding of the past or where you're trying to go. But I, I think there's very few things more important than, as you mentioned, executive sponsorship, senior level executive sponsorship, and having not just one, but many trailblazers inside your organization um, that can be thinking about execution of what's in front of you today. And are we building for longevity and scale as we're gonna continue growing? It, it's a super important part of, of being successful. Yeah, it's also not a short-term outcome. I think the thing, you know, I'm an inpatient founder. I think most founders are. And you want the results really, really quickly, which you do get improvements. And when you go from zero to having processes put in place, they seem very dramatic. But it's really an ongoing process. You're constantly refining how you're engaging as you grow and add new product categories. You're constantly changing how your own business infrastructure is built. So, I mean, does it make sense for organizations to bring in internal resources to actually champion their Salesforce implementation? Or uh, is that something that they can acquire from your ecosystem uh, of folks that are uh, perhaps do this as a business? Yeah, I, I think you've got multiple options there. Um, you know, we, I, I would tell you that if you thought about Salesforce services, we've got a wildly capable team of people that can take everything from how do I implement a single cloud product? How would I implement sales cloud or service cloud? Um, all the way to what, is, what should our long-term system of engagement architecture strategy and integration strategy look like? So you can think of Salesforce as having those people. You can also think about the external partner community, and there's ranges of those partners, PwC and Accenture and, and Deloitte and all of those common names, down to the regional players. They have plenty of skill sets, and we have an entire organization inside of Salesforce that's dedicated to arming them and keeping them consistent with the tools and technologies and where we're going on our roadmap. Both of those said, I, I would never advise in an organization keep either Salesforce um, or a partner there in perpetuity. The, the, we're building tools so that you can implement these tools, your people can learn them quickly, and your people can build the skill sets, and you don't become dependent on an external party to be successful. That's the way we've always thought about our implementation services. When we started the company, you know, Mark started the company with just the, the very simple idea of, you know, why isn't buying software and using software as easy as buying a book on Amazon? Nobody ever really gets trained, you know, have you ever been trained on Amazon? Nobody gets trained on Amazon or Google. It's just one of those things. And our intent is, while well, you're going to go through an implementation process and you've got change management and enablement, uh, our intent is that our, our, our customers are, are equipped on their own and, and we can keep building that skill set as we go. 
Now, Larry, when you think about Salesforce, oftentimes it's CRM, but, but you've mentioned you guys have done a lot of acquisitions as well as had internal development uh, that you, you've built at Salesforce. What are some of the other parts of the transportation logistics ecosystem that Salesforce is expanding into? Yeah, well, I, I think the, well, the two things. I think, I mean, if I can touch on the, just the, the pandemic that we're inside of right now, because I think it's, it's super relevant. Um, you know, we, we felt, we felt an obligation, not just from a, not just from a technology perspective, but as we think about our values, when all of this happened, not just to respond to how the pandemic was affecting our organization, but how we could be leveraging our tools and technologies to help our, our customers in the community. So in addition to all the work that we did um, and the dollars that we spent getting PPE to first responders, there became an opportunity for us to develop um, a solution called work.com. So this is super timely as we think about the transportation logistics industry, because the safe, there's very few things more important than the safety of our drivers. And, you know, clearly we're in an economic crisis. The health crisis is upon us. You've got the customer service crisis, but we needed to get people not just back to work because it's not like we stopped working, but we needed to help people work safely. So when you think of work.com and you think of contact tracing and shift management and wellness check-ins on a daily basis, and doing managing that inside of your organization and transportation logistics and knowing the safety of your entire stakeholder community um, is something that we think is super important. So, you know, we launched work.com as a piece of something that we could do uh, to help. The other thing that we did was, um, and we just announced this uh, about a month ago, was build out some capabilities around something called Salesforce Anywhere. And Salesforce Anywhere is just the recognition that we don't think that while we're in the pandemic and we're in the middle of a crisis, we don't think things are going to rotate all the way back to the way they were. We do think there will be a permanent shift in how people work. Um, and I think that's going to afford a lot of opportunities for the companies that are digitally able to handle this and manage it through time. So, you know, Salesforce Anywhere became the, the capabilities that we needed to really work from anywhere to on the context of your CRM and on any device quote, book, ship, track, and fulfill from anywhere, target and acquire new customers from anywhere, onboard and reskill um, employees from anywhere. Um, so that capability uh, we're launching, it's coming up in beta now, but specific to transportation logistics, I think those are two things that, that we can be doing together that will also help create amazing customer experiences and help us manage with something that's, uh, that's a super high priority right now in the industry. Do you think the argument, I, I know I grew up in a legacy trucking company, you know, large, my father started the business and in the mid 2000s when the, I wanted to go to Salesforce, but there was this concern of owning the data, the data had to be on premise, putting it into the cloud was scary, but it seems like, you know, I've since moved on and it seems like, you know, they're also converting towards the cloud. But is that conversation dead now that on-prem is superior to the cloud? Are, are people, in, have you seen the last couple of months, or is this something that that people are organizations are already comfortable with? I, you know, I, I'll give you the it depends answer, but here's why: is I think it depends on the industry. Um, and, and I would I would tell you, for example, the government um, has certain criteria, and this is more around risk and security, right? So I'll, I'll give you like the positioning: the government has certain risk and security profiles in the healthcare space. 
Um, patient identifiable information, um, PHI and PII is super important. So that being said, where we've moved to, and, and quite honestly, I, largely the entire um, software as a service space has gone to, is, is the security protocols and how you think about protecting people's data has become dramatically better. And, and the, the norms have now reached a standard where, and, and we do a lot of government business I and mean, a lot of high security, high risk pieces of businesses, um, where that security has become the standard. So we don't hear the argument a lot around should it be on-prem or in the cloud. Um, from a security perspective, that's normally where it comes from. Those have, those have largely dropped off, especially once we start doing the diligence and educating our customers on what's what's capable. It, it's not what it's not what we saw, you know, to your reference, it's not what we saw 10, 15 years ago of is my data secure. We, we've made a lot of good headway there. Yeah, I mean I, I, I don't even think businesses could survive if, in a in the COVID environment without work from home, without the cloud. Uh, I mean you you have to have access to data. You know, we're a, we're fortunate to have built our business in the cloud. Uh, you know, everything from spreadsheets and documents is, you know, it's Google enabled to our software platform is AWS. And, and certainly with Salesforce, our entire infrastructure is built around the Salesforce application. Without that, I can't imagine we would, we would be able to do what we've been able to do, protect our employees as well as, you know, be resilient in business. I, I would agree with you. I, I, and the good news is the industry is ready for this shift. The, the, the good news is we've been preparing and skilling to this point. Um, I do think that this crisis has accelerated the people that already had you know, digital modernization initiatives. It's dramatically accelerated the people that had the plans. And for the organizations that didn't have the plans, they're starting to create them because they recognize there's, there's, we're going to get from where this is a competitive advantage, this digital enablement, this system of engagement and coordination with your source systems, we're, we're very quickly going to get where this is no longer a competitive advantage, this is a competitive necessity. And then you layer in what you said, which is work is changing. It, it, it's changed and it has changed forever. How much that comes back to people being in offices and and all of that, I don't know, but there's no doubt that it's changed forever. And without the cloud, I don't know how you can rapidly deploy, be nimble, um, and also have ownership over the things that are most important to you, right? The, the, the cloud companies should own the, the implementation and the capability set and the innovation. You apply your unique things to your business that drive your competitive advantage, and there's a nice division of labor there I don't, I don't know how you do that without the cloud, especially today. No, I think it's, I think it's nearly impossible. I and mean, one of the things, being in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is we have, you know, you can get 10 gig of internet to your house. And my wife's family's from New York City, and they've struggled with just imp internet infrastructure in some of the parts of the city because they were underprepared of being, you know, dependent upon the sort of connected environment and everybody streaming everything. So it's been a... It's been a crazy time and certainly an interesting year. What is your prediction from work from home? Are we, is this a, a permanent uh, fixture? Uh, I mean, as you guys talk to your large enterprise clients, are they thinking differently about cloud implementations? I think that, I think two questions are one, they are thinking differently. I, as I said, I, I, this, 
we, we will not come back to my opinion and what we're hearing from our customers. It will not rotate all the way back to where everyone is in the office all the time. If you want to meet, you go to the office. Um, I, I have an opinion that there, there's some real goodness in that. And there, there's the, there's the human interaction that we all need at the end of the day, though, I think what we're, what we're seeing with our large customers is they're finding ways to get the job done. And some of that, some of that will rotate back. Some of that is just going to become the, the, the next normal. It, it just is. To, your, to the second part of your question, which is implementation, we're actually discovering some wild capabilities where we're, we're deploying technology 100% remotely. We're, we're doing business value case studies remotely. We're doing design sessions remotely. We're deploying technologies and enabling remotely. Um, it's there. We we can absolutely do it. The, the piece that is missing is that human interaction that, that we all need and kind of thrive on in the relationship piece of it. But from a technology perspective, and can we go execute with these tools and technologies to drive business value? It, it's happening today, 100%. I, I, I think we've been, you know, it's interesting because there seems to be a bifurcation in how you manage pre or how you manage pre-COVID. We had all the tools, we were able to track activity, uh, certainly monitor through applications like Salesforce, et cetera, uh, of, of what our staff was doing and how involved they were. But it's interesting in a COVID environment, it's a bit more quantitative, uh, at least for us it has been, where we're using data, where we're actually looking at activity in a different sort of lens than what we were before. Are you hearing that from your clients as well? Yeah, I, I think data, you know, data in it, and this is, a, you know, a reason for our recent acquisitions, the, the intersection of data and analytics and integration capabilities is I think where that, where that next sweet spot is going to be. You, it's interesting because we went through so much of a proliferation of data over the past decade. And, you know, the, the numbers are out there of how much data we've actually created that, the thing that's never been said by, you know, a C-suite executive is I don't have enough data, right? It's never, it's never a question of do I have enough? It's a question of am I able to drive insights out of my data? Am I able to take those insights into action? And am I able to get all of the data in the right way, in the right way that's consumable to the right people? So that goes back to the single source of truth, where if I've got data residing in different pieces of the business... I, I just need to integrate that into one view of reality that should ideally, you know, be in some type of a, of a dashboard or a command center where you have access to all of this information and you're able to make the right decision. So, you know, to your point, if you're thinking about the transportation logistics space and I've got a dashboard, I should be able to quickly off of that dashboard, identify new opportunities in new markets. I should be able to track my on time and in full. What's the status of my freight? Where is it? Do I have weather challenges? Am I able to pivot and adjust for my drivers? Am I able to optimize my sales based upon markets that are hot? How should I think about investments? You know, ratchet up, ratchet down. And I think data, data is really where this key is. It, it's not just that you need more data. In fact, I think it's the opposite. We need to make better use of the data that we have and get it into the right people's hands at the right time. So I, I think it's a huge, um, it's a huge opportunity for all of us. It's interesting because it it does as you know as we discussed it it makes everything quantitative driven, 
we can measure a lot more about productivity and it takes sort of that emotion out of it. You do get down to sort of, and you touched on this, is the human connection element is something that I don't, I'm not confident today and, and whether it ever sort of replaces uh, being in person, but your business, sort of the quantitative elements, at least for us, have been far more productive than, and, and the reason we know that is because we've, in, we've had all this data infrastructure, we're able to track everything. And what it's done is, you know, it's given me as the CEO and, and other executives around here confidence to know everything is, is, is doing quite well and, and actually we're performing better than we ever expected. And it also identifies areas of weakness in our organization that perhaps need improvement. It does, and you know, it shouldn't be lost on the on the folks watching what what you have accomplished at Freightways because this this isn't just you looking at sales data, right? I mean, you, you're looking at an integrated set of what is happening in your organization. You are thinking about CRM and Salesforce as an engagement solution. You've got access to all of this information. You're able to make better decisions because of it, um, and and I think that is. You know, you're you're seeing the competitive advantage that that's driving for you. It's a massive opportunity for everyone. And, and like I said, I as we think about the next five, 10 years, specific to transportation logistics, I do think that AI and digitization, um, this is already happening. And and I think how you're even about things like bots and automation capabilities. How are you how are you taking out redundancies in your business? Um, th this is where this is where we can all go together and. At the end of the day, it's, it's going to help us create just amazing customer experiences, which would be great for everybody. Well, Larry, for us, I think it's not just the Salesforce applications themselves, but this entire ecosystem that's built around the Salesforce uh, cloud is the all of the other products that integrate into it that provide seamless information. I mean, for us, you know, as a content media company uh, and a data company that sells a data product, we want to know how people are engaging on articles or, or engaging in content, perhaps this video as well, and, and understand how they're moving through our ecosystem. Uh, and, and we get that through uh, this cloud infrastructure that you guys have built in this broader ecosystem. There's a company here in Chattanooga that's a Salesforce partner ambition that has gamified a lot of the activity. And we use that as a sort of a, a way in a remote environment uh, to you know, to, to monitor what's happening. But it's built because it's built around that Salesforce ecosystem and it's very easy to plug in all of these third-party applications into your, you know, version of truth around who that person is. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. The, uh, the partner ecosystem has been an amazing lift for our customers. You know, off the top of my head, I think there's close to 45, 46,000 applications that are, have been built on a range of Salesforce capabilities leveraging the platform that are available in the App Exchange, and in those, it's a combination of things that it, it, it's not a sweet spot for Salesforce. It's something we aren't interested in owning, but we want our customers to leverage the platform, all the way to you know solutions that have been 100% built from the bottom up on the Salesforce platform, but they drive some unique benefit inside of an industry or a specific use case or something like that. So. Um, we're super excited about how the app exchange and our partners are, are helping the ability to snap in a set of functionality and leverage those features and still leverage, as you said, the goodness of, of the Salesforce platform is just a huge advantage for all of us. Um, it's a it's a really, really important piece of, of the industry growth. So Larry, I have to ask question, uh, Dreamforce, what's 
What, what does that look like in a virtual environment in a COVID world? Well, the good news is we aren't going to, we won't, you won't be walking around with 170,000 of your closest friends in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's tough. We, we've had to reimagine all of our, all of our marketing activities. If you think about our business, you know, and, and as we started doing world tours and, and all of the, all of the marketing engine that works at Salesforce to help keep our customers close and help keep them current on all the things we've talked about um, today, we've had to reimagine all of our marketing events. And, and all of us have Zoom fatigue. All of us have you know, meeting fatigue. It, it's a very different experience that we're all going through. So while being mindful of that, we still will be delivering a world-class set of experiences for our customers and prospects um, and kind of in a reimagining Dreamforce um, and how, what that looks like for the winter. We should be sharing that out um, very shortly so people can have an understanding of that. It will likely not be a massive event where we throw 170,000 people into a big keynote, but we do want to get very, very specific with our targeted industries. Transportation logistics is certainly one of those. We want to provide the right level of thought leadership. And most importantly for Dreamforce, that, that is really great for us and I think is the biggest advantage for the folks that attend is the customer interaction, right? I, I always feel at Dreamforce, our, our job is to help just facilitate customer interaction and patch, you know, match make customers and prospects and prospects with customers where they can talk about what's working and what's not and in the, in the all boats rise thing. So Dreamforce will be reimagined. There will be likely several events over a long period of time, just recognizing the, the Zoom and WebEx and uh, GMeet fatigue that we all have. But we, we will have a set of marketing events where we will keep everyone current on what we're doing. Um, and we're committed to keep getting our customers together because we, we learn a lot each time. And, and I think as an organization, we grow as well. I, I had the fortunate uh, opportunity to go uh, two years ago, and I recommend anyone uh, to attend that event. Uh, unfortunately, I booked my hotel room like a week before. So I got to experience the... Uh, the egregious cost of trying to find a hotel during Dreamforce uh, in downtown. Yeah, well, it, it, at least you weren't in. It, it at least sounds like you weren't in San Jose bussing up from San Jose. No, I, so. I, I spent the money to go buy a hotel room. Uh, I won't bother saying how much. It was over a thousand dollars for one night. So uh, yeah, but. well, it, it it is, and I, it, you know, you think about the Moscone Center, which is where we hold the event in San Francisco, and, and the impact of no events for for that city. We're the largest employer in San Francisco. We aren't in our offices. Offices are closed um, at least until October. Um, so you know, it's a real material impact on the city. We would love to have a live event. We just don't think it's the right. We don't think it's the right time. We don't think we could do it safely. Um, but, you know, it's not lost on us, the impact it's having uh, on the city of San Francisco. Now, I mean, Mark and so the whole Salesforce organization has been behind not just uh, business uh, applications, but you've mentioned some of the more social and, you know, so social uh, uh, elements of the business and social responsibility. Um, how does uh, where Salesforce plays a big role in the city of San Francisco, what is it doing to to really drive or help? some of the economy uh, deal with these shocks? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, we've been super public about, you know, our value statements. I think I, I mentioned those earlier. Um, 
we've been very vocal and very supportive and, and have put not just money, but resources behind a lot of equality initiatives. Um, we very dramatically, specific to the city of San Francisco, took a stand on a proposition to help the homeless. You know, we, we feel like that is our home. We are the largest employer there and that we could be doing more. We got a lot of companies in San Francisco to support that. And then I think the other side of this, and, and you've been a dream force and you've been with us for a while, Craig, so you know, you know how we started the organization with a, a very simple philosophy of one, one, one. So 1% of our time, 1% of our equity, and 1% of our product, we donate. So we donate those to 501c3s. Uh, we're very active in public schools. Our employees get you know, a large number of days per year paid time to go donate back. We feel like we have an obligation, um, not just inside the cities where we have major hubs today, but more broadly inside of all of our communities to adopt a school, give back, help, uh, help those that are less fortunate than ourselves. And I, I think that's a super binding piece of the Salesforce culture that, that keeps people here and helps bring in great talent as, as we're, we're very dramatically attached to the concept that um, our business is also about helping others. So it's important to us. Larry, so how should a, a transportation company that's watching this video that wants to get started with Salesforce, how, how should they go about that? Yeah, well, I, I think it, hopefully you know how to reach your Salesforce person. If you do not, we will make sure that it, it, as a part of this video, you can send me an email. But, you know, for, for me, that's job one. We, I'm responsible for the manufacturing vertical in particular. And inside of that um, is a heavy transportation logistics component. So if, if you don't know how to reach your Salesforce rep, please send me an email. I will get you connected to the right person. And then I would suggest, you know, I was, just, I was actually just about to say, let us come in and sit down. We hopefully, you know, this this video will survive some time, and, and that time will come back. But I think it's I think we just started having a conversation about where you are in your journey, um, what the most important things are for you as a company. You know, that starting point may look different to to the point you mentioned earlier, Craig. Um, and I say we pick a place where we can start. We measure what our expected impact is going to be. We track that and we, and we really wrap a nice customer success lens around it. This is not just about technology. This is about picking the right partner. This is about having the right customer success motion. And as you mentioned earlier, having people inside the company that can be trailblazers and really champion where, you know, where the technology can go as it aligns with the growth of the company. So let's, uh, it's simple, simply said, let's, let's have a conversation. Well, Larry, I, I always ask folks that are on this show to make one bold prediction for the next five years. I'll leave it to you. Uh, the Lakers will win the NBA championship. <laughs> all right, we'll take that. With all that said, Larry, thank you so much for coming on Fuller Speed Ahead. Best of luck for the rest of the year, and uh, congratulations on what you guys, and first of all, thank you for you know from us as a business owner, for me from as a business owner. Uh, we, I don't think we could be uh, successful in a COVID environment without Salesforce. Uh, and the application ecosystem that you guys have built around it. Craig, thanks. I appreciate the time. And, you know, congratulations to you on all of your entrepreneurial success and everything you're doing at Freightways. We're, we appreciate the partnership and thank you so much. Thanks, Larry.